last week we looked at Jacob, and if you will, if I may indulge you, or you can indulge me, Jacob had a bit of an epiphany. It seemed like for all of his callousness against God, all of his lack of pursuing God throughout his life, his young life, he, at the end, he uh, had a dream. And that dream was brought up in the fact of uh, Jacob's Ladder. It was brought out the song, Jacob's Ladder is anything but a Christian song. And so we won't go into that. But he had a heart for God at that point. And it, the chapter 28 ended uh, with verse 21 and 22. And if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house. And I will give to you a tenth of all, that I, of all that you give me. And Jacob didn't have to do that. He, didn't, uh, he wasn't coerced by anything except for his love for God. And uh, this fact that he had met God face to face in a, this dream that was real, it was powerful, it stirred him and it moved him to pursue God and that. And then we go to chapter 29. And as you have your lesson outline there, we see that the first thing is uh, God gave Jacob a gift of love. And as we'll start reading here in a bit, you'll see where that comes from. And then God's love is persistent through trials. And we'll see what that aspect is And there in Genesis 29. And then God shows love to the unloved. And as we finish up the chapter in uh, 29, we'll see a unique set of circumstances that God uh, used to show his love for a woman that was truly unloved in her, in her marriage. And so, Father... We, uh, as we see this, as we work through this. Also, you'll note on there, there's, some, uh, there's a bullet note there about propitiation. There's a, a statement about sovereignty. I'll read part of that later on. And then also uh, about, uh, in Hebrews, God's divine discipline. And then also the essential doctrine, God is love. And that's from the leader's guide, which I have a copy of. But you all don't. So anyway, that's why I decided to share it with you. And that so let's uh, pick up the story. Jacob travels. Uh, he's going from he got kind of run out of town, if you will. He got ran out of his um, Isaac's tent area where they were living, and he has to go away because his brother has threatened to kill him, at least under his breath. And so his mom has recommended that he go up and he see Laban and uh, go stay with him because she does he doesn't want her marrying any of the local uh, gals that are there, land of Canaan. And so he's traveling in that, and he comes up to a, uh, a well, and, and he sees this gal there. And let's see, they, I want to start reading a little bit earlier. And let's start reading in verse 9. While he was still speaking with them, and this is in Genesis chapter 29. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. It says something about this young gal. As soon as Jacob saw his uncle Laban's daughter Rachel with his sheep, he went up and rolled the stone from the opening and watered his uncle Laban's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept loudly. He told Rachel that he was her father's relative, Rebekah's son. She ran and told her father. So that's kind of the introduction to how Rachel and Jacob met in that. He took care of her. He provided a way for her to get the, the water uh, that she needed for the sheep. This was a gal that didn't mind being outside. She, uh, as a shepherdess, she wouldn't have spent much time inside a tent and that because the sheep don't live in tents. So anyway, so she was an outdoor kind of gal. 
for those of you who are ranch, she was a ranch gal in that. Starting in verse 13 then, when Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then he took him to his house. Jacob told him all that had happened. Laban said to him, Yes, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, Just because you're my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah, and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had ordinary eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he answered Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your daughter, your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban replied, Better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and that seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That's an amazing statement. God chose to record it, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Jacob obviously had a deep love for this gal, and it's interesting that it gets recorded that way. It, all of us love a great love story. We, uh, we see movies about it. The book here brought up several, The Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Romeo and Juliet, and all those are interesting, and they always have, there's always a conflict. There's always uh, turmoil that goes on in any love story, any movie that you would see or book or poem that you would read. They all have that, and there's uh, struggles that go on in that. And before we get too much farther, I wanted us to look at where the root of love is. We could, you know, go on the rest of it, and it would be easy to focus on the treachery of Laban toward his nephew. Jacob's kind of manipulating the situation to, uh, to gain uh, sheep, which he did. And that, so we could, we could go about that, we could go down that path, but we've been kind of talking about sin for a while and, and how it, it creeps into our lives and we do things that we regret later, and such as life of Jacob. And it certainly there's a lot we could gather from. But I kind of want to look at this idea of love, and I kind of want to discuss it in a little bit more detail from some of the verses here, the New Testament and that. So if you'll take your... Bibles and turn to John chapter 4 verses 7 through 12. This gives a good description, adequate description of where love originates. So let's turn to 1 John chapter 4 and I'll start reading in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, that we, it, in this not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. And I want us to see that this love that he's talking about here is this idea that God loves us. And this is where love originates. We know that uh, the Bible, four different words for, and see if I can get them right. I didn't write it down. But there's four different words for uh, love in the Bible. 
uh, eros, which is physical or sexual love. Um, there's uh, phileo, which we get the word Philadelphia, is that friendship, that brotherly love, the love we have for each another, one another. And then we have agape love, which is what it's talking about here. And that's the origination of love, that we love with no thought of reward or return, but rather that God loved us, and we are doing that because he loved us. We want to love others in return of that. And then the fourth one, and remind me what it is, is uh, familial love. It's uh, love of a child for his, uh, or a parent for his children. Do you remember what that is, Ted? No. <laughs> anyway, it's, 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 it's another word for love that the Greek and, and that has, but it's, it's, and I can't think of what it is. But anyway, it's that idea of the love that a parent has for his child that type of love, that parental type of love. So that's the four words. And we have one word in English, and we use context to find which type of love we're talking about. So when we read this passage, it's best to remember this particular passage here in 1 John, that this is talking about God's uh, uh, agape love, and that's the love that God has for us. There's no sense of return. There's not like, I love you because you're giving me something. It's that God loved us period. And as Christians, that's what we're to do. It says there, everyone who has been born of God knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. And so that's what we're to do is because love is from God. And as you read this passage and you think about it, it's important to recognize that this is the root and the source of, of love that we want to, discuss, want to describe and think about. And then let's turn to John 15, 13. Seems to be a theme here with... Uh, John doesn't there for love and this is the self-sacrificing part of love this is what agape love is about and this is what Christ has done for us start actually in verse 12 this is my command love one another as I have loved you no one has greater love than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends and then he goes on you are my friends and if you do uh, if you do what I command you. So this is that idea Christ is telling us what we should do, that willingness to self-sacrifice, if you will. Not that any of us are going to or would need to lay down uh, our lives for a friend, but that's the, the level and depth of love that God wants us to have, is that willingness to love regardless. And, that. and then the challenge, and we find that in uh, chapter 14, verse 15. Again, Christ's words here. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And that's the one that, and then we saw there in uh, 15, verse 13, that this is command. Love one another as I have loved you. So the idea is, the challenge is, is for us to keep these commandments, to continue to love one another. And it doesn't, doesn't make this statement that it's just for believers, but it's for the world. Because Christ loved the world. He did not want any to perish. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So we see that God originates with love and that's as we as believers need to take that into ourselves and then go forward with it. There was another big word there that we looked at in uh, the first John passage I meant to bring up and that's propitiation. It's been defined before. But just a little reminder, the removal of divine wrath. Jesus' death is the means that turns God's wrath from the sinner. And that truly is. Not only did God have love for us, but Christ also. That he was willing to be obedient to the Father, 
even to the point of death. And that's what that word propitiation means. So anyway, and I wanted us to, to kind of think about that. And let's go back to the storyline, to the story there in Genesis. And I will say this, that yes, Rebecca was attractive physically, no doubt about it. But to work for seven years, there had to be a little more something going on in Jacob's life than just physical attraction because that's a long time to work for your uncle. And yet he did, and it seemed like only a few days, and I thought that was, was interesting that he would do that. Let's go on to the next part of the passage. Indulge me for a moment. <laughs> um, I wasn't necessarily going to share this, but I, maybe it has a good point here. In, uh, and it's a little bit about myself. I attended Bible school in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, it's about my relationship with my wife and that, and how we dated and a little bit of that area. And it's a love story. And uh, I was a very caustic, uh, sarcastic, anything but godly individual for uh, a number of years while I was attending Bible school, to the point where there were several of them thought about, I didn't know this till later, they wanted to take me out behind the house and beat me. And that, and I don't blame them. And so, anyway, but I, as we started going to Bible school, this was in 19, the fall of 1975, Adeline showed up there. And uh, she was Native American, and I've always been attracted to Native American women. And I thought, man, God answered that prayer. And she sat right, by, right in front of me. And, uh, and I told my mom and dad that there's this cute gal, you know, and she's Native American, or she's, I think she's Navajo. Was that a mistake? And that, as I shortly learned, and that. So anyway, she was dating a good friend of mine, and that. So I thought, oh well, and and uh, I continued to go down my merry path of being very sarcastic and caustic, very much a cut down person, very much that would cut down other people at a whim. And so I, uh, I never thought anything about it because that was the culture I grew up in as a child. And my uncles were that way. I'd work construction for them. They were masonry contractors and. And I carried hod, and if any of you know that, you know how difficult that can be. And uh, I grew up in that. They were vicious toward my grandmother. They were vicious toward their wives, always belittling, always cutting down. And that was the environment I grew up in for a part of my life. And so I just thought it was natural. And so I did the same thing. As I tried to pursue this young lady, she said no. And she told some people at school that if he was the last guy on earth, I still wouldn't date him. And that and as you go to Bible school, you realize, I don't know how many of you have gone to a Bible school, but they, you know, it's a place for young Christians to pursue young godly women. And so you do that. So, you know, I was interested in her, but she didn't want anything to do with me. And so I thought, oh, well, she doesn't know what a good time she's missing. Boy, was I full of myself. <laughs> so anyway, um, as time went on, God was working in my life. And at some point in that first year, there was one young man that we roomed with. There was like six or eight of us in this four-bedroom house that the school provided for housing. I was being my usual individual and, and uh, being brutal toward other people. And uh, he looked up at me off his bunk, and he said, I love you, Randall. And he had tears in his eyes, and it stopped me cold. And I quit. And he never said another word, but I never again cut that young man down. His name was Herbie, and uh, 
He loved the Lord. He, he radiated Jesus Christ. Sorry. Didn't expect to go get quite so emotional about that. But uh, anyway, he, uh, he really exemplified a godly young man. And uh, I lost track of him over the years, obviously, and, and don't know where he's at. But, uh, but it, it stopped me in my tracks. And then shortly thereafter, there's a, um, at Bible school, at the particular school we attended, they have a chapel every day. It's like going to a preaching service every day. It was great. You know, you get to hear all sorts of great speakers uh, from out of the area, stuff like that. And uh, I don't remember the speakers, but two of them on back-to-back days spoke on the subject of of love and belittling people and how wrong it was. And I was sitting about where Neil is sitting, and I turned around and I looked toward the back, and the, the chapel was rather long, and I said, did somebody tell this guy about me? And that because it's like he spoke right to me, and I realized that God was working in my heart and my life to change me, not so that I could pursue Adeline, but rather so that I could have a change of heart and become the man of God that I need to be. But it was rooted in love. God used her to start changing me as a result of the events that went on with her dating life. And then at some point, we got happily, we got happily married, and life's been great since then. But anyway, that's, there was that time, and much like Jacob, there was this point where he was running, and he was being, he was vicious. What he did to his brother was unforgivable almost. And yet he had a meeting with God, and he changed his heart, and it changed his mind. And that's the point I want to make, is that love breaks down barriers. We can read all sorts of stories. There's love stories about men and women, but probably one of the most significant stories I ever read in recent times come out of the bloodshed that was done there in, in Africa between the Tutsis and the Hutus. And where a young Christian woman who had been brutalized by them went up to one of the men that did it, and asked his and said I prayed for you and he had come to Christ and he asked for her forgiveness love reaches through that and we cannot understand that in our humanity we want to be mean sometimes and vindictive and yet oftentimes we need to go back to the fact that God loved us and that's what changed our hearts and minds and so that's important and I share those stories for no other reason than to exemplify what love is and how crucial it is in our Christianity that we cannot, we can, it's just one aspect of God, I recognize that, but it's so important that we as Christians model that and emulate that toward the world. Regardless of what the world is doing, we are commanded, they did, Christ did that, and that, and it was clear in his life and how he reacted to things. Another thing I want you to do, and, and I'm not going to read all of it, but there's that uh, idea of sovereignty, and you see that it wasn't luck that brought Jacob to hook up or meet up, not hook up, sorry, wrong language, but meet up with, uh, with Rachel at that well. It was God's sovereignty. He was directing her. And there's a quote there, and I just want to read the, the first couple verses. The fact that God is sovereign essentially means that he has the power, wisdom, and authority to do anything he chooses within creation. Whether or not he actually exerts that level of control in any given circumstance is actually a completely different question. And so recognize that about God's sovereignty. He chose to have Jacob meet Rachel at that well. It wasn't luck, it wasn't circumstance, and it doesn't apply in our lives. When I go to the job and a deer runs in front of me, that's God's sovereignty. 
my reaction to that situation is whether or not it's godly or not. And we need to recognize God's sovereignty in our lives, that it's all-encompassing or it's nothing at all. And if it's nothing at all, then why are we sitting in this room today? You have to accept that. You have to accept his love. All the attributes of God are to be in one, have to be accepted as total and complete in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so I wanted to emphasize that. And then the rest of it's there. Uh, I thought that was a good quote on the sovereignty of God. So I brought it up. Let's see. They make the point they mention in here, Jesus, uh, Jacob did not find love. It was provided to him by his loving father. And that's another point is the fact that seven years seem like just a couple of days. That's God put that in his heart. There's no man going to stick around for a woman for seven years unless God puts it in your heart. I'm just making the point. What's that? Well, yeah, but he had two wives at that point. Yeah, and actually it was 14 years that he had to work for the guy. So uh, why do people often resort to luck as the reason certain circumstances happen at just the right time? Think about that as us as believers. And I'm guilty of it too. I'll look at somebody and I'll say, well, good luck hunting. You know, have a safe trip or good luck this. I do it a lot with hunting because I kind of look at it as that way. But it's God's sovereignty. He's providing the animal. And he's providing whether you get it or not. And if you don't get it, then he doesn't want you to have it. You need to look at it that way. It had nothing to do with luck. Let's turn to the second half, the next half of the story. And uh, that'll be in uh, verses 21 through 30. So then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is complete, and I want to sleep with her. He had continued to love her, so he wanted to consummate the idea of this uh, relationship that he wanted to have with Rebecca. So Laban invited all the men of the place to a feast. That evening Laban took his daughter Leah, gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban gave his slave Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her slave. When morning came, there was Leah. And in my Bible, there's a big exclamation point. So he said to Laban, What has you have done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? Laban answered, It's not the custom in this place to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Complete this week of wedding celebration, and we will also give you this younger one in return for her work, in return for working yet another seven years for me. And Jacob did that point that Craig made. He finished the week of celebration. Laban gave uh, him his daughter Rachel as his wife, and Laban gave his slave Billa. Um, Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her slave. Jacob slept with Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Lab uh, Laban another seven years. How sad that this father-in-law corrupted the sanctity of marriage at this time by playing favorites. But it's just, again, reflects back on Jacob's previous life. And how sin can creep in and can control us and manipulate us and we think we're doing the right thing. Laban could have explained the culture, but he chose not to. He chose to deceive him. And it doesn't say, I don't have any notes to say that this actually was the practice or this is just what Laban decided to tell somebody and that. But uh, it's sad. And then the fact that Rachel doesn't get a wedding celebration is not mentioned in Scripture. She just is... Uh, just, gets to go and live in the same tent with her older sister, what she'd been doing all of her life. And so you can see the complexity of that 
and the frustration that must, must have taken place in, in Jacob's life. And yet his willingness to work for another seven years shows a tremendous amount of his love. Unfortunately, though, the language indicates, and we'll kind of get into that, that he despised Leah. And don't know why exactly, but it uh, probably because it reminded him of what had gone on with Laban and the fact that he, uh, he uh, uh, deceived him in such a way. And that so it's important to recognize that um, another thing that we need to recognize is is God used this circumstance of Laban's trickery his deceit to discipline Jacob to to um, move him toward understanding to train him in the idea of peace and righteousness because he's still got to live there for another seven years total of 14 years there's uh, some verses there in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 6 and 11 for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. That idea of discipline. And then verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weaken knees. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And that's the idea of discipline is it's training us toward that, toward peace, toward righteousness is what it's doing. I know... My father disciplined me several times for leaving tools out. And eventually I got to the point where I put the tools up because I got tired of being disciplined. And that, so it works. If you discipline somebody, they tend to change their ways. And so this is what God was trying to do in the life of Jacob. He was trying to love him, and he was doing some of this disciplining and changing him because he had a heart that needed to be changed. And that's ultimately the idea of discipline, is it's a changing our heart to the point where we're not doing it just because I don't want to get disciplined, but because we see value in changing and that. So one uh, question they have here is, how do you respond to God's loving discipline from God the Father? And they have a line, and, and over here it says, hardened rejection or repentance and blessing. <clears throat> so either way, you can either harden your heart and reject what God's trying to do to you and continue to... to uh, go down a path of, of fighting God, even as a Christian, um, not recognizing that God's trying to change some, some behavior in you, or you can say, okay, God, I get the point. What do you want me to do? And then as a result of that, there's going to be blessing. Maybe not physical, but maybe spiritual. And it's going to take that repentance, that change of heart to do that. And that's the idea of what discipline is. And that's what was going on in Jacob's life this 14 years that he was uh, going through this, um, fulfilling his responsibility for these two gals and that. Um, another point that it brings out in the lesson was the idea, and we're seeing, unfortunately, we're going to probably see more of it, is this idea of polygamy or um, amorous relationships where you have multiple partners, and yet uh, God made it very clear in the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 18, verse 30, uh, and verses 18 and verse 30, that polygamy is wrong. God forbade it. There's a lot in chapter 18 about sexual perversion, sexual sins. Uh, you can go to and what God has shunned, not just for the uh, nation of Israel, but for us to recognize that this isn't something that pleases God. 
just because the commandment was given to the Israelites doesn't mean that we shouldn't take it to heart as well. It's a responsibility we have toward God of what he said, no, this doesn't work. And as we read this story, we recognize the fact of the tension that was created in this relationship. And we've already seen that. We saw that in the story of Abraham and Sarah and then Hagar and the fact that eventually because she, Hagar got pregnant because of Sarah's uh, misguided, she got angry at Hagar and so Abraham sent her off into the wilderness and that wasn't right. Hagar hadn't done anything. She was just being obedient in that. So you see how the tension can build and that's why God says maybe we should not have that kind of a thing in your life. You shouldn't have more than one wife. So anyway, there's, there's that, the pain that can come about. The next passage, any other thoughts on that or as I go to the third point? Anybody got a thought or comment? Yes. Daryl makes a point. Anytime you have more than multiple uh, relationships, you don't have a happy family, multiple wives and that. And you certainly don't. You saw it later on. You'll see it with uh, David. You'll see it with Solomon. Just, you know, there's all sorts of tension and division. And that, if you don't believe me, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Right, right, in that, and I don't disagree. And I think the idea of trials, there would be more of a sense of discipline than just, you know, the fact that he didn't have it coming, so to speak. But God used those circumstances to shape him and to train him. And the fact of, and that goes back to what I had to say about how do you respond to God's trials, loving discipline in your life? Do you harden and reject God, which Jacob certainly had the capability of. We've seen that throughout his whole life. Or do you repent and receive the blessing, whether physical or spiritual or emotional in that? And so there's those two contrasts about how we react to the trials or the discipline that God brings into our life, the situations that he brings into our life in that. So it's, it's important that you, you recognize that. We can go either way on that, and we have that choice to do. I wanted to read this out of the, the bulletin because I think it puts it better than I could in my own words in that. And we'll see it as we go on in the rest of this chapter because it ends on a very sad note. Leah is very manipulated. It doesn't speak to it, but you can imagine, especially if you're a woman, how she must have felt. Her father manipulated her, you know, and then Jacob's rejection of her. And so they put it pretty well here. Let's see, when we read of Laban's deception on Jacob's wedding night, we most likely focus on Jacob's pain, and I don't want us to do that. I want us to think about Leah for a minute and her response as these sons are born to her. And remember, this took a period of time, too, that this went on. But we cannot miss the pain this caused Leah as well. Here was a woman following her father's direction and the expectations and customs of her day, and yet there would be great sorrow and suffering in store for her. Leah was a source of Jacob's pain. He did not love her, and she knew it. But God shows love to those unloved by others. And that certainly is the case here. She was unloved by Jacob, as I mentioned. She was also manipulated by her father, who shouldn't have done that to her. You know, that's a father. I don't, I know I wouldn't, you know, to me it was wrong of the way he did that. And yet he chose to because he wanted to either save face in the community or meet cultural expectations and that of the day. So 
Let's uh, read then uh, verses 31 down through 35. And pay particular attention, and I'll highlight them a little bit more uh, as we get done here. Pay particular attention to what Leah names her sons in that. And it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah conceived, gave birth to a son, and named him Reuben. For she said, The Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. Then she conceived again, gave birth to a son, and she said, The Lord heard that I am unloved and has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again gave birth to a son and said at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him therefore she named him Levi and she conceived again gave birth to a son and said this time I will praise the Lord therefore she named him Judah then Leah stopped having children it's interesting that each of those names has, has significance in what she named him in the notes here, it says that that Jacob, as I've already mentioned, he wasn't just apathetic. He wasn't just didn't care for her because she wasn't as attractive physically. He despised her. He hated her. That's the language that's in the originals here. And so recognize that that this is this is a division that she recognized as an as a person that this that my husband does not love me, period, and that. And so. She had hoped, so her first child she named Reuben, and, uh, which literally translates see a son or behold a son is what she named it. She was trying to get that relationship with Jacob that she didn't have. The next one she had was uh, because the Lord listened to her is uh, Simeon means one who hears or hearing. Another gift from the Lord to her because she was, the Lord was listening to her. And then her third one, her third son, means attached, hoping after three sons that Jacob would have some sort of attachment to her. But again, it didn't happen. And then finally, she just recognizes that it's not going to change. It's not going to go that way. So she named him Judah, which is praise the Lord. If there's a person in this whole story that, is, that has a relationship with the Lord, it is Leah. In that, and I thought that was significant because of where Laban was. Obviously, she knew the Lord God, the the God of the Bible, and um, she must have worshipped Him because of the depth of her character. As we read this story as well, so you you see here that these things and her response is important. That we we see that that even though it wasn't what she had hoped it would be, she still praised the Lord. She still pursued God, and she didn't turn bitter. She didn't reject God, but she continued to praise God as the time went on. Right, and that you're correct. Thank you for bringing that point out. That in the first part, she was trying so desperately to win the affection of her husband, but then finally on the fourth one, she recognized that it's not going to happen, and so she focused on the Lord and that. And uh, significant point. Some of you, just a little side note, Leah her concubine was Zilpah so she had a total of eight children that were her responsibility they were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon and then a daughter Dinah who came through Leah and then through Zilpah uh, the concubine there was Gad and Asher 
and then through Rachel, we have Joseph and Benjamin, and then through the concubine, uh, Bilhah, we have Dan and Naphtali. So that's how the uh, tribes of Israel kind of line up, except for Joseph. Then he had two sons which come into play in the final 12 tribes of Israel. And we'll see that as we go through this study. Another on the applica or on the uh, essential doctrine, God is love, and that has to do with those three uh, passages I shared with you, and uh, you can certainly read that. The greatest, I'll read the last sentence, the greatest act of love by God toward humans isn't giving of earthly goods, but of giving of himself in Christ so that we might become reconciled to him. And that's a point that we need to recognize, is that's the ultimate showing of God's love toward us. Two other passages you could certainly write down there would be uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Also, then, we already read it, but first uh, John four nineteen. This type of love of God loving us while we're still sinners, and I think I mentioned it before from teaching, is unique to the, uh, to the Christian faith. Buddhism and atheism, there is no God to love us in our failures or in our successes or in our need. In Islam, Allah does not love the unbelievers, and that's written into the Quran. He has no love for them. We have the one God by whom we know what love is due to the reality that he first loved us. So we can confidently proclaim the truth of the gospel to those around us that they, that they too may experience what they long for. What they feel is so distant, unattainable, yet is truly closer and greater than they can fathom. And that's the fact that we have a God that loves us first even though he knew that we were going to sin even though he knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall in the garden he still provided a way and that's what from Genesis to Revelation that's the story that we see is God's love for the human race his redemption his plan is in place and it carries out through the entirety of scripture and that's what the gospel project is there to do it's that gospel the good news is uh, the highlight of it and how it carries through in the entire um, Bible so with that, we'll close. Is there any comments or thoughts before I close in prayer?